Hey, welcome in. It's Unanchored Boston, the podcast. Bob Lobel, Hank Morse, our guest Butch Stearns, and the lady of the hour from Winchester, Massachusetts, Mary Ellen Lynch, who's here to tell Why us is about Mary Ellen here? Lynch. It's a good question why Mary Ellen's here. I was playing golf Saturday at Granite Links, and I got a phone call on the golf course, and it said, Mary Ellen Lynch. I don't usually get calls from Mary Ellen Lynch, <laughs> but obviously it was what I was about to take. And uh, she simply said, Mike had a stroke. And of course, everybody that's watching or listening probably knows that by now because of what CB Channel 5 uh, covered and Boston.com and the Globe. And uh, everyone said that, uh, you know, it's expected to totally recover. But Mary Ellen Lynch is here. I asked her to come on with Hank and Butch, who's filling in for Mike, and to give us an update on what actually happened and how he's actually doing and how much hope we can expect to have a full recovery. Hi, Mary Ellen. Good morning. How are you, gents? We're doing great. Good. Thanks for being here. Morning, Thanks for coming on. <clears throat> so what happened? Well, I can't believe it's, it's a, it was a week ago today. I can't believe it. But um, anyway, uh, he it was just about time for the Celtics to start. About 8.30. He'd had his dinner. I was upstairs and he just kind of came up and said, I think I'll go for a walk, um, you know, before the game. Uh, I said, okay. And he left. He told me which way he was going to go around the street. It's kind of a circle, uh, but it's uphill. And um, so I, I, I thought to myself about 10 minutes later, oh, I should have offered to go with him. This is strange. 8.30 at night, Celtics are on. So I decided to go around and meet him in the middle. And um, he was coming towards me and huffing and puffing. And his right arm was hanging. And he said, I feel like, Shh, you know. And he started to walk with his right leg and boom, down on the pavement. And um, he could speak. He didn't hit his head. He could speak. So I, I tried to pull him closer to the curb. And I said, Mike, I'm going to go down the hill, get the car and come back up. So I did that. And <clears throat> I couldn't get him in the car. There's no way. And I didn't have my phone. Um, I, I'm sorry. I did have my phone. I couldn't get into his phone. I did call Kelly, who lives in the next town over. She came over. We got him in the car. This was a, this had to be an hour. And um, once I got him in the car, I said, well, he can't get out of the car, clearly. And I'm, I'm just going to take him take him into Mass General where his doctors are and all that. Now, you may say, well, why didn't you call 911? Well, I, I remember a while ago somebody said, well, if you, you have to go to the hospital closest to where you are. You know, there's Winchester and Leahy, which are great hospitals, but his doctors were at MGH. And I knew the Celtics were on. They were away. Red Sox were away. I got in there in 12 minutes. And two wonderful guys, guards came and put him in the wheelchair. And right away they took him, did a CAT scan. Um, he had a brain bleed right on top of the brain. And it stopped bleeding. But there was there's like two kind of walnuts, one on each side. His came from the left side, which affects his right side. And the blood was, you know, I don't know what you call it. It was gathered, you know, in a, on, on top of his brain. Right. Um, and so it affected his speech, which on the way in, what he was talking when he was on the ground, but going to, into Boston, I said, I'll put the Celtics game on. And he was garbled. He, I couldn't understand what he was saying. He wasn't interested. Um, and then his right arm and his right leg, uh, he couldn't move, just couldn't move. So, I mean, right away, um, he was in the emergency room for a while, but right away they they determined that he needed to go right to rehab. There was nothing else they could do. The bleeding had stopped. Um, so, we, you know, you know how insurance is, you wait the weekend. Everybody was waiting for him. 
there's some wonderful people that helped me, Susan Warnick, Don O'Connor, you know, they, they got the president of the hospital and this and that, friends, and they were waiting for him, which was great. But he stayed in Mass General. He, he knew Thursday he was going, stayed in over the weekend, had a rough night Sunday night. Um, his right leg is starting to hurt. So they, he wasn't medically ready, I guess, early yesterday morning, but they got that under control. Another CAT scan, nothing's changed. Um, so thank God he's there right now. And, you know, be a long road. I mean, um, I'm kind of touching base with him because uh, it's a, a field test and this and that. I'll go in, visiting hours are at two. Um, so that's where we stand. Um, he, his speech is much better. And in his brain, I mean, he, he can he can think and he knows what he wants to say and um, this and that. But getting it out is a little tough, especially if he gets tired. But the concern is, you know, the right arm and the right leg is a little stronger than the right arm. So. But they, you know, the, the doctor said they expect I'm not making it up. This is what they told me, that they expect a full recovery. And I believe that will happen. You know him. <laughs> he was, probably, was he angry? Was he a little ticked off? Uh, he's he's frustrated um, <laughs> more with me because I, I can't control the, the, the TV in the room. I hit his leg with the tray a little bit, ah, you know, but. You know, with the nurses and everybody, he's you know he's he's fine. He's fine. He's got to be frustrated. You what know, is the, what is the plan for him staying in Spalding, Marianne? Uh, probably, th as far as I know, three to four weeks. Um, I don't know anything after that. I know he will have another um, scan while he's in there. He'll have they'll have to get him back to Mass General. Um, but th this happened because of high blood pressure. It will never happen again as long as his blood pressure is under control. It won't happen again. That's great to know. Yeah, yeah. Mary Ellen, if you don't mind my asking, because I think there's a lot of people out there our age. I mean, I'm on blood pressure medication. I'm on uh, a statin for high cholesterol. A lot of yep. it's hereditary. Was Mike on those medications? Um, not a statin. Uh, he had uh, AFib and has been um, uh, cardioverted, you know, a couple of times. So there's no uh, blood thinners or statins. Okay, that part is under control. This is something new. The blood, uh, the high blood pressure is something new. I'm on like amlodipine, a small dose. I don't know, to be honest with you, what he was on. It sounded like a water-based type of thing. We bought a cuff, and um, he was taking it for a while, and it was high. I mean, we're talking 150 when it should be below, hopefully, you know, 130 or 140. Um, I'm wondering, to be honest with you, when he decided to go for a walk, Okay, Tuesday night. I'm I'm wondering if he felt something in his arm or felt something in his leg and thought maybe he could walk it off, maybe because it would have happened at home while he was watching the game. You know, I mean, it was going to happen. Maybe it already started and he thought he could walk it off. I don't know. Thank I don't God know. You know. Thank God you had that intuition, though. You knew I, something was wrong, right? I can't figure it out. I I can't. I don't know why. Well, no, guys, how about, how about when you hear Mary Ellen tell the story, we all think about, well, that could be us, right? But how about the fact, the simple fact that a sportscaster's wife knew where the teams were and knew how quick she could get into Mass General? Okay, <laughs> I yeah, that's going to stick with me forever. <laughs> I better know, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. That hit me. I'm sorry, Mary Ellen, go ahead. No, that hit me too. I thought I thought to myself, okay, I'll go through Medford, get on 93 that way. Uh, there'll be no traffic, you know. So it was fast. It was fast. He's yeah. going to tell you when he comes through all this and gets back to being the guy that you knew that either he, the Celtics listening or watching the Celtics caused this 
<laughs> or that he had a dream that the kick was wide against Yale and it didn't count. <laughs> and all of a he'll, sudden, he'll remember all that stuff. All right, right. He'll say, well, that really what caused it. Yeah. Well, obviously, there's reason to be optimistic. And I yeah. think it was really good to hear from you and uh, get yeah. your take Thank on it. And uh, Thanks for thinking of us. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah, the I know. Other thing. We're all good friends. I know. I yeah, know. We are. And uh, right. You know so, what that uh, means, Bob. Thank God those doctors went to Harvard. <laughs> you better hope. <laughs> I got to tell you, Mary Ellen, before you leave us, you know, Bob and I have been friends for a long time, obviously, and Mike the same length. But when Mike and I would see each other, you know, and frequently over the years at events or whatever, you guys have three daughters and we have three daughters, but uh -huh. your daughters. Uh, you know, mine are, ours are 25, 23, and 21. So yours oh, are the next generation. Right. So Mike would always tell me, I can give you the notes, Butchie, but it's not pretty. I can <laughs> give you the notes, Butchie, but it's not pretty. But I lived vicariously with my daughters through your daughters and having grandkids. And and our friendship just grew from always talking about our families. Yeah. And now you get, now, now we have grandsons. I mean, <laughs> I <didn't see> <laughs> It's like, <laughs> yeah, put more pictures on Facebook. I love seeing those. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll give well, them more importantly. One other question. How are you and how are the girls doing? Great question. Good. Very, very good. Um, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> pull it together, girl. Anytime it's asked about me, I get <laughs> weepy, but no, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, the, and the girls are great. The girls are great. You know, so. Well, make sure you let us know if you need a gallon of milk or, you know. I will. A lot of I'm sorry, I lost it there. Mary Ellen. Like, a lot of strength from you. And um, thank you need you. to keep giving them that. And it'll all be great. I mean, uh, I know. We'll sit around in three or four weeks and talk about us doing this little podcast <laughs> thing. And, you know. <laughs> I will leave you with this. You know what he said to me when he read the uh, Chad Finn in the Globe, right. and he he just looked at me and he went. <laughs> in other words, <laughs> too much talking. Oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. <laughs> I said, you know what the, up, the upside is he'll never be able to criticize your driving ability. Absolutely, because you got him to Mass General. Then well, Marianne, you it. know how much you know how much your husband is loved, and we love you, and you know how much love there is for your family now too. Well, thank you. Well, we're here for you, and uh, we'll be. I know you are. I know you are. We'll thank you so him, much. We'll be in touch, Mary Ellen. Yeah, good to see you all. Be be strong, you too, too Mary Ellen. Uh, thank you. you know, okay. We send him our best wishes and our prayers. Thank, thank you. Thanks. Thank I will. Prayer. I'm going to call him right now. All right. Tell okay. Kelly she did a great job of setting you up on the computer, too. She right. did. She did a good job. Yes, she really did. <laughs> Thank God. Thanks. Okay, bye. All right, see you later. Bye, Mary Ellen. Bye, Mary Ellen. Bye. All right, we've got to get back into, uh, and that's why Butch Stearns is here. So we kind of just segue into that, maybe, Hank. Yeah, Butch, welcome. Thank you. Um, you know, no one can take Lynchy's place, but Butch, you're as good as anybody else. Well, that, uh, well, we could bring in here and, and thank you for joining us. And I know thank, you're a good thank friend. You. That's the best compliment I've gotten in a while. I'm as good as anybody else. I love that, Hank. That's but, right. Uh, I got to be honest with you before you jump into stuff is, you know, Loby was my guy growing up. And then Lynchy, I met right after that. And those two guys are the reason I do it and have done it. And until <laughs> they kicked me out, whatever. And um, they were both what you would hope they'd be. And I've tried to pay it back in spades, pay it forward with young people. Loby beat me up when I needed it. I used to take, this is a true story. I tell this to interns and bore them all the time, but I lived in my mother's basement when I was in my twenties and I had a camera set up at the edge of my bed. I used to tape uh, channel five and channel four sportscast on my VHS tape. And then I would turn the camera around and try to emulate their sportscast. <laughs> so my first tape that I ever put together, I don't know if you remember this Bobby, but I sent it to Bob. I mean, you know, no social media, no internet, no email back then. I sent the tape in. I called him every single day. He finally called me back. Hey, Butch, it's Bob Lobel. And I'm thinking, which one of my friends is busting my balls? Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, all right, Bob. No, it's Bob Lobel. I go, really? He says, yeah. He goes, by the way, is that your bedroom in the back of the tape? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He goes, come on in. We got to talk. <laughs> 
Listen, so, he saw something because he wouldn't have made the offer if he didn't see something. In well, you. he told me right away what he saw. He says, I'm not telling you much because you're going to take my job. And I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. <laughs> maybe you can. And you obviously did. But, uh, and I'm really obviously happy with the fact that you were you doing that. And then I watched you last night. I said, I'm making a point of watching this guy because I'm going to pay attention to what, you know. Uh, on 25, don't don't ever forget. I know it's things are tougher these days, and I was just my question to you, and I'd ask this to Lynch if here, but you know, he and I talk about it all the time. The difference of back when and now, you know, back before cell phones and before virtual interviews uh, and COVID, and now the difference in covering sports and and at a station and all the things that you have to go through now that you didn't have to go through before, or how different it is now. Well, different is the perfect word, I think. I mean, you could look at it good and bad. I mean, obviously, the technology's evolved where everything's instant. I, I know you'll, this will resonate with you, Bobby. My favorite time when when I started at Fox in 1999, and it was Maria Stefanos, myself, David Wade, and Kevin Lemanowitz. Wow. We were, we were on a 10. and So you and Lemanowitz are the only survivors. Uh, Bob Ward, too. Bob All right, then. So, okay, so Wade went over to Channel 4. Thank you. Yeah. Maria's yeah. over at Channel 5. Yeah. and um, But I remember my favorite time was like 7.01 or right after 7 o'clock if I got a story because I knew we could lead with it at 10. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk, that's if, for a young person, they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I know. Dinosaur story. Now that's on Twitter at 7.02, right? Yeah. You know, so it's different, but. I think it's the same thing. I've tried to do what you and Mike did so well is just be the same guy on the air that I am off the air. I don't have a TV voice. I can't do it. I have to remind myself not not to drop an F-bomb every once in a while or wait for the waitress to show up with a round of drinks. That's a pretty good code. <laughs> and, uh, no, but I mean, I mean, you know, what you see is what you get. And, and I try to bestow that on young people when I talk to them. They're like, well, I want your job. I said, what's my job? Well, you, you know, you, you talk sports every night. You ever been in front of the camera? No. I put him in front of the camera and said, well, then how the hell do you know you want to do this? Get in front of the camera. You can do it on your iPhone now. But I, I just, I'm, I make no bones about it. I'm a Boston sports fan, born and raised. And so I know who I'm talking to. And I just play to them. So, you know, and, and this series is an interesting one to do that, isn't it? Because on one hand, you could argue this has been a horrible series. You've got I hate watching balls. these games. I don't know about you, but and Hank, I hate watching these games. Yeah. You know, the, it's, they're so damn predictable. You go out by 20, catch up by 20. You go out by 20. It's, I mean, it's like, come on. Well, there have been four 20-plus about... point leads, right, in the first four yeah. games. And yeah. you know what? The thing that makes you hang on, at least for me, the three-point shot has changed everything with the frequency that they take the three-point right. shot because of – you know, last night, I think they got it down. The Celts were up 20. I turned it on at a buddy's house. It was 26 to 6. I was like, wait a second. I had to check my glasses. Yeah, 26 to 6 after it was 18 to 1. And right. normally, years ago, you'd think, whew, boy, it's just a – but with that three-point shot, nothing is comfortable, especially they got it down to 15 at one point. So it is still yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you, Hank. But after last night's game, my first thought was, wow, we were spoiled in the Bucks series. Because that series was an old school series. It was basketball played like football. For the most part, they let them play. You had the defending champ and the defending MVP. You knew the Celtics were going to be battle tested if they somehow got out of it. I mean, a 20-point lead was not safe in that series. I feel like these teams can't come back from 20 in this series for whatever reason. I don't know. It's so it's bizarre. It, no, there's no explanation. And I don't know about you, but I have no idea what's going to happen in the next three games. Right. No well, idea. Like if believe, anything's possible. Bobby, I'd like to believe that. I mean, we've all said this over the years. They're stupid cliches, but a series doesn't begin until somebody wins a road game. Well, they both won a road game now. Right. And now it's a best of three. And unlike last series, the Celtics do not have home court advantage. So, we all know that. But if it's going to be a series now, well, let's see some bang-bang games. Let's see Bam Adebayo and Al Horford get in each other's face like uh, him and Giannis did there. Let's see, you know, Robert Williams uh, start imposing his will like he can, and he did somewhat last night in his 19 minutes. I, I just I, – I think I'd love to see 
to get to the finals. I don't want it to go seven. I'd love them to win it in Boston on Friday because, yeah, you, know, well. you know, be off too for Memorial Day weekend with my family. But anyway, nobody cares about <laughs> me. But um, I would love you know what's to- odd. You know what's odd about this series so far is that each of the superstars has had a, a disappearing act. Yeah. Like Jason Tatum, right? In, uh, in game three. Last night, Jalen Brown, for all his ability to take it to the hole, you know, I think he ended up five of 20. Right? Not Jimmy my favorite Butler, player. I got to tell you this. She's not my favorite player. Jalen Brown? Jalen Brown. Because he's so talented. Player. He's just so talented. He just does not have. Uh, shut up, Bobby. I can't be that critical. No, why, why don't you like him? Basketball no. sense. I don't think he's got native in, instinctive basketball sense. I mean, that's just that's an in, it's not a thing you can quantitatively measure, but it's an eyeball thing. I just he just is a step behind, but that's beside the point. I mean, he's got some great skills, as does Tatum. Here's what and Butch and I had this question conversation the other night, Hank, about Tatum. And uh, as you brought up, he disappears at times. Larry Bird never disappeared. I'm just saying, you know, if you compare the two, Bird always showed up no matter what the situation was. At least that's what I remember. That's what I, but I, but Tatum's front and center right now and he's on stage right now. And there are times when he disappears. Well, I'll shut up after I said the other thing about this team is they flop too much and they argue too much. Just shut up and play and stop flopping. Okay, end of story. No, I was going to say, I heard Dan Shaughnessy on uh, the Sunday night show with Michael Felger on NBC the other night, and I thought Dan made a good point, and he admitted, I'm totally speculating about both these things. The first point he said was Jimmy Butler, he goes, something to watch with him not playing the second half of game three is there's some history with him and that coach. He goes, I'm just guessing, but I did some snooping around. He said, I'm just speculation, but this, you know, insinuating that maybe there was more to it, that his knee was swollen that he didn't play in the second half. That was one. But the other thing he said was very interesting. He said that Tatum came down in game three, the horrible game he had in the very first minute had a foul called or a non-foul that wasn't called and complained right away. And Udoka called the timeout shortly after that and got in his face. And the rest of the game, like you said, disappearing. Dan and Chris Gasper was there with him echoing his sentiment. Said there were times he was just standing off in the corner. He never once went at the refs. Dan's point was he was pouting. That Udoka told him, stop yelling at the refs. And he was pouting and he let it get to him. Now, I don't know if that speaks to, you know, we know this. Anybody who lived through Larry Bird, any comparisons with Bird just, they just, it's hard to go there because you, it's just hard to go there for every level, for the championships, everything. The West Coast trips, you had to stay up at night, no social media, no nothing. But um, Tatum is a major talent. He's got some feathers in his cap this year. I think he can be an MVP candidate. But you're right, Bob. He He's taken nights off. And I don't know if it's him. I don't know if he gets easily defensed. I don't know if teams have devise things to stop him from doing it. Look at him last night. How does he How does he play that game three and then play the way he did in game four last night? If you're, star power does things. I suppose Bird would tell Casey Jones, if Casey Jones brought him over there and told him to stop complaining, Bird would tell Casey, you coach, I'll play. <laughs> That's what Bird would say. Right. You know, shut up, you coach, I'll play. Right. After he went down hard there and – looked like he hurt his shoulder badly and disappeared off into the locker room. I said, oh, boy, we could be in trouble. That looked tough. And then two minutes later, he came out like nothing happened. And you know, I, think that shoulder, I think that shoulder is an issue. Did you notice early in the game he was on the bench and they were tending to him and he was doing this? This was like in the first when it was 18 to 1 or whatever. And he hadn't really lit. I was like, oh, that's going to be something to watch. But he seemed pretty fluid in that game. But let's be honest. Everybody's hurt at this time right now. Everybody's hurt. You know, Marcus Smart, say what you want about that guy, but we know he's a warrior. For him not to play, that ankle had to be a, a bullet like a balloon. Rod, when you, what what went through your mind when you saw him turn his ankle? I mean, Joe the, 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 absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Right. I figured, oh, my God, I hope it's not a compound fracture. Right. Hard to believe that they scored 11 points in the first quarter last night. And uh, Miami, I mean, how can they miss? They were 0 for 14. 
Yeah, well, I don't know high school teams that you know that aren't well, over fourteen. It's it's a miracle they got to eleven. They had one point, I think, with four forty to go in the quarter. One or point. Like one point. One point. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't don't think that everybody in that garden wasn't thinking about closing them out at one point at the end of the first quarter, which would have been an un, you know they they got eleven okay, but. It went through everybody's. Then they were three for twenty and shooting. I mean, come on, you cannot have, you cannot be that bad. The thing I like about the Celtics is, so far, it hasn't happened in this series. I think if they get down by twenty again tomorrow night or Friday night, I think they have a better chance of coming back than Miami, because I think they're a little more battle tested, and I think their roster's deeper, and I think they have other options. And now, right to your point, Bobby, about Jalen Brown or Hank is that Brown is a guy who can take it to the hoop and will. And he's so streaky with that three-pointer. But both teams come out trying to hit, like the Celts did the other night, uh, game two. nine They hit nine of 11 three-pointers at the beginning of that game, and that game was over. But they're all trying to do that. And when they don't, I mean, and go cold, I mean, how are you going to survive that? Tommy Heinsohn's rolling over in his grave, isn't he? Take it to the basket. And don't throw it out when you get there to the three-point line. Well, so, all that's why the game was so difficult to watch for for a lot of people of a certain age. Yes, because the, the days of you know uh, a six ten seven foot guy just in the low post are gone. They're out on the elbow. They're out on the wing. They're taking twenty four point shots. They're not kicking it down. Plus, when you take 35, 43 pointers a game, it's just a different ball game. Yeah, I mean, if this were if this were old school, to your point, Hank. We on game six or game five, the matchup we'd be watching is Bam out of bio against Robert Williams and Al Horford. Yeah, Those right. Are the guys that they would be feed that's Parrish McHale. I mean, they're not, but you know what I'm saying? That's what we would watch. So I don't know what's going to happen from here. Do you guys? Not a clue, but I can tell you one. I'll give you one quick little story about last about this. Of course, we're taping this on Tuesday, and the series was tied at 3 3 or 2 2 rather. I'm going back to Miami. So before I turned on the game, my TV was on ESPN. And damn, 30 for 30, if they weren't showing the tuck rule, that they had a whole 30 for 30 on the tuck rule. And it was one of the most interesting shows. Oh, yeah. Brady and Woodson sitting in his living room. I don't know if you saw it. I Brady and Woodson sitting in his living room talking about the tuck rule. It was a remarkable show, and it was painful to turn it off and turn on the basketball game. So I said, to hell with it. I'll watch the basketball game in due time. It'll take care of itself in the last five minutes. I'm watching the end of this tuck roll. It was remarkable. So if you ever get a chance, it is really worth it. It, it really is really good. To it. You know what sticks to me with it, Bobby? I don't know with you. When you get to the very end, my goodness, Charles Woodson is still bitter. He really he was funny. No, I'm, he made a case for that being a fumble. <laughs> and made, Brady admitted it was. He, pretty he made much a good case it for it. I mean, you got to watch this show. It's really what, done. What was well. it? Was it two or three weeks ago that Brady tweeted something similar? Hey. Oh yeah. I, he, I think it was. It was probably a fumble. Oh no! It, it was. Uh, he tweeted. Yeah. It was whatever. It was one of those national days that you admit something that you always knew was a lie, and he whispered into the camera. And he said it was a fumble. <laughs> anyway. So who's going to win the series? Who's your, yeah, but, Bob, who, who's your pick? Yeah. For this series, I uh, I don't know, Hank. Honest to God, I mean, I'm not going to be brave or smart. I don't, I'm neither brave or smart. So I just I don't know. I, if you, you guys could convince me whoever you think's going to win. My like Miami's got the home court advantage, but I I after last night, I, or after the two two games in this series. I can't see anybody beating the Celtics. It's like Shaughnessy wrote today. You walk out of the gym and you say, there's nobody on planet can beat these guys when they play like that. Nobody. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have no clue. You tell me. What I like the Celtics because they've won how many road games now? Two in Brooklyn, two in Milwaukee. And one in Miami. They've won five road games in these playoffs. So uh, while you're absolutely right, Bob, that 
Miami has the quote-unquote home court advantage, I think it matters less to this Celtics team. I really do. They played some of their best games this postseason on the road. That and they don't lose back-to-back games. What's that? They don't lose back-to-back. And they haven't lost back-to-back games. But what does that say for Wednesday night? I mean, who knows? Yeah. Winning back-to-back games. Chris Gaspell, give him credit, made this point when they lost game three. Maybe this team handles adversity really well, but maybe they don't know how to handle prosperity. <laughs> maybe they don't know how to capitalize on on Well, yeah, Gasperi wrote that in his column, too, that, uh, the other day, that the further they get ahead, the more relaxed they become and the more they believe in themselves that, that they're invincible. I would say this, Hank, when you ask who he thinks is going to win the series, I think it's the Celtics. I really do. I think they're the better team, the deeper team, and they're more battle-tested. But I would ask this question. If you ask the average basketball fan who doesn't have the dog in this fight across the country because it looks like it's going to be Golden State, who do they want to see play Golden State? Miami? Really? They don't want the Celtics? Wouldn't you want the Celtics against Golden State versus Miami? I would. Well, yeah, I would too. I would. That would be – and that still very much can happen. Hank, I, you're a Celtic guy. You, gotta you know what? I, I think the Celtics are going to win. I don't know if it'll be six or seven. But the one thing that has impressed me since January is this team believes in their defensive abilities, that even if they're shooting 37 38% from the floor, defensively they can do enough to get the job done. There are some teams that can't do that. They can. I mean, look, at last night was a prime example. They didn't shoot the ball well at all. But Let's defensively, especially it. in the first game, quarter, so strong. Game, uh, game five is tomorrow. I mean, Wednesday. Game six is Friday. Game seven will be Sunday. So by the time we reassemble next week, it'll be over. Uh, so now that we've said that, let's move to a seventh game in Miami. Who wins that? Who wins the seventh game in Miami? I guess you can, let's move past five and six and assume they split these two somehow, some way. Who wins game seven in Miami? Go ahead, Hank. <laughs> I'm going with the Celtics, and I think that, um, you know, people have lamented that, hey, this these young Celtics have been to a couple Eastern Conference finals, but they have nothing to show for it. I think you'll see it if it goes to a Game 7. And with the re-addition of Al Horford, who always makes contributions that you don't necessarily see, but his, his maturity, his leadership, um, his ability to settle his teammates down, I think that weighs very, very big for guys like – Tatum and Brown and Marcus Smart come to a game seven, you know, kind of a been there, done that. And, and, and they've been tested as well. They have some experience now. Let me ask you this. And I just remind people that Butch is here and very happy to have him as Mike is recovering and Spalding and hopefully we'll make a full recovery from his stroke. And uh, we heard from his wife, Mary Ellen at the beginning of this podcast and, Things are very optimistic. But let me go back to that's that's why I'm explaining Butch's presence. Tatum or Pierce? Which would you take? Tatum or Paul Pierce? Which one? If you had to build a club around. If I had to build a club around, I'm taking Tatum. And that's no disrespect to Paul Pierce. Because I think no matter how you slice it, Paul Pierce is between <laughs> the sixth and the eighth greatest Celtic there is. Okay, and we can debate that all you want. We can go Russell, we can go Bird, we can go Havlicek, we can go McHale, we can go on and on. And and I'm who am I forgetting? But um, I build a team around Tatum because I think his upside is better. Yet Tatum's still got the huggies on, as we know, Bobby, as you and I talked about the other night. I can't compare him to Bird, even though everybody wanted to this year, numbers wise and things that he did. He's got three of the highest scoring games of the, of the top five Celtics highest scoring games. Who cares? Have a parade and then talk to me about that. But I think Tatum has more upside and that'll be my answer to game seven. I think if you look at the two superstars, Tatum and Jimmy Butler, and if it comes down to that, Butler better win game seven for Miami. Because I think the Celtics, when you said, Hank, whether it's Al Horford, whether it's Grant Williams, like he did in game seven, whether it's Robert Williams, whether it's, Except Marcus Smart, the Celtics cast of characters is better. And I think they can win a game seven in Miami without Jason Tatum having a dominant performance. I think if Miami's going to win game seven, Jimmy Butler has to dominate. No, I would agree. And would you say from a physical 
talent standpoint, would you say that comparing um, Tatum to Pierce at this juncture, that Tatum is a better athlete? Some of the things he does with the ball, he's a little bit bigger. I mean, some of the things he does with the ball down low, we know he can hit the three-point shot. He, he can play in transition, but some of those scoops underneath the basket, I, I think he's a better athlete than Pierce, and I think the maturity will come, come along. I mean, let's face it, Pierce won one championship in his 15 seasons, right? Well, Bobby, let me set you up for because I want to hear what you have to say about this. Let's be honest. Tatum's, what, fifth year now, I think? Whatever. He's 25-ish. He's a kid. Right. But if we want to compare him with Pierce, in all fairness, this was Pierce and Antoine Walker. This was Pierce before Garnett and Ray Allen and before the championship year. So he's got a long way to go before we have the final comparison, obviously. But when Paul Pierce was playing with Walker, wasn't Pierce similar in that he was a great talent. There wasn't much he couldn't do. He could shoot the three. He could drive to the basket. He could defend. He was a decent passer. I mean, I think you can say all those things about Tatum. So I think I think we got to wait. Not that we do in sports talk, but I think we have to wait in that comparison. I think, yeah, I suppose that's a good point. It is, uh, but I see Tatum as being as being more versatile. I don't. I don't. See Pierce making a lot of moves that Tatum's been making. I don't see Pierce doing a lot of under the basket lay-ins or scooping it up no. from the floor. I don't see a lot of that from Paul Pierce. I mean, I think I think Tatum's a better three-point shooter and better than Pierce was. No, I I gotta take to tell you, I think that I gotta take Tatum. I gotta tell you one quick funny Tatum story. I went down to uh, the draft lottery when the Celtics got the number one pick. It was a fun event to go to too. And um, Markel Fultz was not there. Lonzo Ball was not there. But Tatum was there and a couple of the other guys, DeAndre Fox and some others. So we got access to those guys. So when the balls fell and the Celtics ended up with the number one pick, as we all know, Markel Fultz was the um, consensus number one pick. And then Ball, please, let's not go there. I, mean, <laughs> I, can, make, I can make a case for Sam Bowie and Hakeem Olajuwon being taken over Michael Jordan versus – either one of those guys being taken over Jason Tatum. But I got a chance to interview Tatum, and the very first question I asked him, I says, well, Jason, I would ask you how you feel about Boston, but there's no chance you're coming to Boston now. I said, because they had the number one pick. I said, so give me your scouting reporter, Markel Fultz. What a stupid question. He looked at me like, are you shitting me? <laughs> Excuse me. He goes, are you kidding me? He goes, really? Like, you want me to talk about? He goes, I'm the best player in this draft. <laughs> That's cool. That's good. And he was right. He ended up being right. Well, that's well no matter what you're going to do, it's going to be an exciting lead up. And, of course, Butch, you mentioned it earlier, Memorial Day weekend coming up. And no better time to head to your local grocer for our best foods, our best burgers. Butch, you've got three daughters, right? There are probably a lot of people coming and going in your home. I've got uh, two daughters. I've got two grandsons. Bob's got a has three kids, grandson, you know, a lot of people coming and going. This is the weekend. You walk into the frozen food section after you go to ourbestfoods.com, download the coupon, you walk in, you get a dozen all beef Our Best Foods burgers. They are spectacular. They are so good. Hank, had you sent me some and I had some, I could speak with authority about them and I would have done the product placement like LaBelle does. Instead, I'm left with my Tuckerman's Brewery hat. Don't worry about it. Yeah, sure. Butch, calm down. We'll get you some. Calm uh, down. Okay. You know. We'll get you some. We'll get you the 20-pack that they send to Winchester only. not that good a look on you, Butch. <laughs> you know? But you want to know what, Butch? I'll tell you. The begging, it'll be worth it when the burgers arrive because they right. are outstanding. You know, like sometimes you put a big burger on and it, like, shrinks down? Yeah. Because it's got so much fat. Not these burgers. Yeah. So walk in and, Bob, show them our friend, the Smiling Chef. Oh, yeah, the guy up in the corner here. Yep. The oh, smiling yeah. chef. He's happy always he happy. And we affectionately referred to him as whom, Bob? Pablo Bell. Pablo Bell. <laughs> Pablo Bell. And if you buy five oh. or six boxes or more, he winks at you as you're walking out of the frozen food section. He's you know so that happy. story, Butch. Don't Bob you know? Check in the Winter Haven uh, Holiday Inn, and they didn't have a Pablo Bell in spring they training. Pablo Bell? But they had a Pablo Bell on there. 
I swear to God, I can't make that up. Oh, my goodness. Had I known that years ago, that would have been your name forever. Pablo. Well, there it is. Well, I'll have to break my policies, Hank. I hate free stuff, so I'll have to, you know, break those bad policies. Yeah, yeah it won't be that hard when they come. Ourbestfoods.com and Our Best Burgers. Quickly, guys, I just wanted to shift to the Bruins a little bit because something odd happened last week when they were talking, you know, the end of the season exits and they're talking to Cam Neely and they're talking about Donnie Sweeney coming back. You know, he didn't have a contract. Yeah, well, uh, we expect him back. We have a contract extension ready for him to sign. And then they asked him about the coach, Bruce Cassidy. And he said, I think he's a fabulous coach, a great coach. But he didn't give him um, his stamp of approval. Or he didn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, the coach is going to be back. He said, well, I think there need to be some changes. And he went on to talk about some of the young players worrying about mistakes. It was, it was an odd look for not only Neely, uh, but for the coach as well. What did you guys think about that? Bobby? I think Cassidy's gone. I mean, I think, look what they do with their coaches. It's, uh, how many coaches have they had? 20, 21 coaches? Just go down the list of coaches. I mean, it's crazy from Butch Goring to uh, Bip Gwedlin. And, you know, you go right. Bonus, you could go the 21, 20 coaches they've had. I mean, that's where they go. When they have, when they're not happy, that's the guy that goes. And I got to believe that Cassidy's in that category. So if he's gone, are they making a mistake? Uh, you know, my personal uh, fantasy is they bring Milbury back. That's my personal fantasy. Oh, I'd like that. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, every, Milbury, yeah, he deserves to come back. He does not deserve to be out of retirement like NBC put him for a stupid. It wasn't a stupid comment he made. It was a stupid decision regarding the comment. But anyway, Milbury would have been great. I don't, will that happen? I doubt it. But he'd be perfect in my mind. It was obviously curious, Hank, that he did. I hope he's not gone. I like the guy personally, and I think he's a really good coach. And if he is gone, he ain't going to be long before he gets another job, right. in my opinion. I mean, with all the retreads that are out there. But this has been six years. And I think back to, I remember Antoine Walker told me in confidence when Patino got fired. He said, don't quote me on this, but sometimes you just want to listen to a different CD. That's how long ago that was. But, <laughs> but I thought about yeah. it, and I'm like, well, I got to attribute that to you. Everybody will know it was you. You you met him when you were in junior high school, and you were with him for that long. But I don't know if it's I don't I don't know if enough guys have tuned him out. The Bruins' problems go beyond Cassidy. I mean, they need to transition from the Patrice Bergeron era, and they don't have the people to do that yet. Mainly because of their drafting, it hasn't been as good as it should. They haven't had enough players to do it so it's curious and i like all of these guys you know but what difference does that make i love cam same thing with donnie sweeney but if one of them had to go wasn't it didn't sweeney was the one who deserved to go rose with cassidy at this point i guess that's not how it works like you said bobby they fire the coaches first uh maybe they need to get another some other coach like barry trotz in place before they uh deal with cassidy i don't know how how the jacobs well, I know how they operate. That's I, that's a given fact, how they operate. So it just depends on, I mean, having Cam Neely, I love Cam as much as you do, but I, you can't get over Cam as a player as opposed to Cam as a general manager. Well, hey, you, when you asked so, this question, you brought up a good point, how it played. Cam Neely knows better. He was obviously a great, great player and a leader in the locker room. So when the president of the team comes out publicly and does does anything. Because the owner him, tells him he's got to get rid of the coach. But the he, owner he, says. He didn't have his back publicly. He didn't have his back. I know. Before. That's the point. That's a, That was a great point that Hank brought up. And that's true. It was so painfully obvious he didn't have his right. back. But why, though? We don't know. If you want to say that he's going to be back like I think he is, then maybe he wants to make him squirm a little bit for whatever or maybe he's challenging him publicly with private conversations he had and when he says bruce knows he has to change a few things well if i'm cassidy and i sit down and i know i can get another job maybe i come back fire and say well i'm not going to change the way i coach i can't change who i am yeah. right well maybe yeah, he's we still, he still has another 
who are in charge of the power play and these special assistants who have responsibilities that they haven't delivered. The power play was atrocious. I know, you know, you want to talk about, you want to talk about coaches. I don't don't want to completely segue into something else, uh, Hank, but I wanted to ask this before and what you guys thought about email Doka, but obviously look, look at the Celtics and look what they did. There's some other assistant in hockey out there. Who's that guy who's paid his dues who deserves it. And you look at Udoka and you wonder why he didn't get his shot before. But the question I wanted to ask both of you guys, we've watched it. This team on December 31st was unwatchable up to that point. And then they flipped a switch on January 1st and he got them to buy. What did he, here's my question. In your opinion, what the hell did he do to get them to buy in? They bought into their role. Didn't they come back from a 25 point uh, lead uh, and lost to the Knicks? The Knicks came back from a 25 point deficit. Yes, something like that. That was the last time. Then after that, it was the switch flipped. And I think all you have to do is make the say the word defense. I know it's that not that simple, but they all of a sudden they figured out how to play defense. But how has he gotten the best out of every almost role player? Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, even Tatum has excelled in his role as the star player because the second half of the season, I think he led all forwards in assists. Meaning that he was knowing when to give the ball up and he'd get it. I mean, I just I haven't seen a coach do that in a long time, especially halfway through a season. No, it's been a remarkable and unique story. But this might be overstating it. It was almost Belichickian in that he was able to bring out so much more in guys that we had limited expectations of. Maybe Al Horford also. um, I was never a big, you know, I was always somebody bought into average Al. They really overpaid for this guy. But the more I watch and the more I see, the more I realize what they've always seen in him is that beyond his physical ability is his mental toughness, his leadership, and the things, you know, I think it might be his ability to help bring these guys together and finally say, listen, we've got elite defenders right here. We've got a couple of elite offensive players. If everybody plays their role, stay within your role, and it has to be the team game. There was always, I thought, any of the first half of the season was like, wow, Tatum, Brown, they look selfish at times. They're always looking for their shot first. And then I think it was in was it in the Bucks series uh, where Grant Williams, uh, what did he hit, eight three-pointers one night? Yeah, and game he said, seven. He hit uh, eight out of 18. And he said, they kept telling me to shoot the ball because right. I was the open guy. Right. That, to me, was like a throwback to the 80s Celtics where it's about – a team approach, and it's they, they've kind of embraced it. Yeah, kudos to uh, Ime Odoka. Yeah, but after the game, Tatum said he read the stat sheet when he was sitting there at the podium, and he says, he led us with 18 three-pointers. And then he just deadpanned and said, I told him, don't get used to that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I That's a Larry Bird remark, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hank, think about this. Al Horford, I believe, had zero points at halftime, zero, and might have been the most impact player that entire first half. Here's his stat line for whatever it's worth at the end of last night's game. He played 33 minutes, which was third highest on the Celtics behind Grant Williams and Tatum. He had 13 rebounds. He had three assists, and he had four blocks, and he had zero turnovers. What did he take, two he, total shots in all game? Uh, yeah, one for two. He took two shots, and his assists were the alley-oops to Robert Williams. Remember that? Yeah. Which were, but he was, he was everywhere. He was everywhere. That reminds me of Richard Seymour when he'd have zeros across the stat line and Belichick would stand there and say, does anybody know how dominant he was in this game? He destroyed like double teams all game long. <laughs> That's why he didn't have any tackles. The, uh, you're right about Horford. Pat Riley, who uh, obviously was in the audience last night and has been in and is now with the Heat. We, Butch and I go back. Hank, when Pat Riley was coach of the Lakers. And uh, one of the great quotes I can remember after a Laker win out in L.A., Riley simply said, no rims, no rings. No rims, no rings. Rebounds. And that's where Horford was huge last night. Yeah. No rims, no rings. If you don't get the rebounds, you can forget about the rings. How about that rebound he had? I think it was in the third quarter. It was a defensive rebound. Yeah, he I literally 
contorted his body over the guy. I, right. No rims, I no rings. Think about it. I couldn't believe he did it without hurting himself. That was unbelievable. Even a few times when he's brought the ball up in transition, he looks like he's energized. Yeah, we talk about three-point shots. We talk about, you know, corner threes, driving the lane, penetration and everything else. But not a whole lot of people emphasize the rebounds. That You know, they, we, they, they just are another statistic, but they're a huge statistic. I mean, Miami hadn't – they were 0 for 14 and – Somebody had to pick up those loose shots, so they didn't. The Celtics did. That, that's there. You go. All right. Enough about enough about that. Well, Bobby, from the camper. Me? Hold on a second, Butch. We got to get in the camper first. Okay. Right, oh Hank? my God, Butch. Do you camp at all? Do I camp? Well, yeah. I'm going to Maine this weekend. We go up to Maine all the time. I don't. Well, camp. Why don't you guys go together? You, that'd be great. Both of you can go together. Yeah, I live right off of 93, right? I can meet you up at 128 or even 95. And you take a lot of pictures. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. You know what? I love photography. Really? <laughs> Not the camera. I love you. Tell me I'll bring the burgers, the many, Butch. The many Susans you know? in your life were not were not, a, <laughs> we're know, not campers. <laughs> make a, pic, a couple of pictures and send them along, and we'll see if they get posted in the right place. Get well, if you missed the big problems. kickoff event, Butch, which you may have a few weeks ago at Cold Springs RV, where is it? It's not that it's hard. Where, New Hampshire. Where, New Hampshire. Where, New Hampshire. Got it. That's clever. That's well, that's, that. And Bob, it's clever for us. Still time to celebrate the early season, Bob, and that's when the selection is the best at Cold Springs RV. Well, we have this little uh, camper thing we do. It's a cruiser, Lobby Cruiser. So they've got a proven reputation of working early with manufacturers to make sure that they have the best inventory. They have a fantastic selection of travel trailers, fifth wheelers, toy haulers, motorhomes, pop-ups, and more. So a lot of great deals here, Hank. Go take advantage of those great deals and no pressure. You want to walk in, you want to go lay down on any of these, Butch, you're thinking... <laughs> five, 10 years down the road. Listen, this is like a moving waterfront home. Yeah. You can do it. No pressure. In a Cold Springs RV, the doors always open on every single unit. So, for instance, I love pop-up trailers right. because the place I love to go camping, Herman Island Campground, you can't have beyond a pop-up trailer. Right. So, so that's what I'm looking for. I've had a couple in the past. What right? if you bring another one there? <laughs> I'd like to set one up for you what somewhere you south of the Mason-Dixon line. What are they going to do? What are they going to do if you bring something else besides a pop-up? They'll ask you to leave. They won't let you on the island, Bob. Uh, okay. Oh, it's an island. Won't be the yeah. first island he's been kicked off of. No, no it, would not. it wouldn't be the second time either. And pictures. if you're looking for a new camper, right. they will blow you away with not only the greatest selection in New England, but the very best prices. And right. get to Cold Springs RV. Tell them Unanchored Boston sent you. It's Cold Springs right. RV, Where New Hampshire, W-E-A-R-E, -E, New Hampshire. Online, coldspringsrv.com. Unanchored Boston. And Butch, by the way, we're getting ready to take the Lobie Cruiser out. And uh, Lynchy, Lobie, myself, and now you, uh, we're going to head out to Cooperstown. We're going to go to Toronto, to the Halls of Fame. Might hit Canton, Ohio, so then we can uh, go on a nostalgia tour with Bob through uh, Apple Creek, Ohio. Bob, we're Bob, in the Swimming Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. Can I, can I admit something that I'm embarrassed to admit? Never been to Cooperstown. Really? Never. See, that's something I'd lie about. Well, I'm going to go this year with Ortiz. You think he deserves to go in? Yes, I do. Good answer. <laughs> I was stunned that Big Poppy just made no, his. No, I do. I mean, you I, know, mean I, understand, I understand Dan's point. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm, one, I'm someone that believes Clemens and Bond should be in, too. I mean, they did what they did, but how many other guys were doing it? Whatever. You know, I just, but I think when you add up the whole Ortiz package and the postseasons, and you know, four, no, he didn't win in eighteen. Three World Series. I mean, come on, and he was an instrumental part in all of them. Is he the who's the best? Okay, I guess you're going to say Ted Williams. I was going to say the best left-handed hitter this club ever had. 
I mean, wow. you got Yaz, you got Ted, you got Ortiz, you got Boggs, you got Fred Lynn. Who's tell me who's the best left hand? Don't forget, don't forget Mo Vaughn. Huh? Don't forget Mo Vaughn. No, head dog, right. I'm just saying, who's did the best hand? Did you mention, did you mention Boggs? Well, I mean, I, you could go on and on telling the story about the night of the greatest TV show ever with Larry Bird, Ted Williams, and Bobby Orr, and how Williams just dominated the minute he walked into the whole room. That's true. Right. But uh, anyway, um, hard to argue against Ted Williams. But, I mean, I didn't see Ted Williams play. So in my lifetime, the greatest has to be Ortiz. I remember the one thing that, that I didn't sit down with David. Better than Yes? Well, yeah. Better than Boggs? Oh, Ortiz? No, when yeah. you add up the whole career, and you, I, I mean, you can't deny the three championships, can you? Boggs never won here. Yes, never you won think, here, obviously. But I think in baseball, okay, I'm not going to, you guess you're forcing me in a position of, of opposition. I don't want to be in that position of opposition. No, you've right? never been like that, Bob. Don't start now. I don't think baseball is, is something you can point to and say, one guy is the reason you got three championships. Well, no, but do they win it without him? 13. He had well, they certainly don't come back from the Yankees. In, no. 3-0 without him. That, that, there's no question. Here's the one quick story I was going to tell you. I sat him down one time and I asked him, why do you think you've been so clutch? And his answer has always stuck with me. He said, it gets quiet. I said, what do you mean? He goes, when you're in Yankee Stadium and they're going crazy, I get quiet. Everything gets quiet. I can focus more. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Really? Is it that simple for him? Like, like he, 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 the pressure doesn't get to him. It fuels him. I don't, I don't know if that's different. I've never really heard an athlete talk about it that way. Isn't that what happens to all the great ones? I guess so, to some degree. We know what happened to Bird. My goodness. It happens to guys like Djokovic or, like, or Federer, these guys that are playing in – or talk about the PGA. It happens opposite, oppositely of what we just saw last Sunday right. uh, in Southern Hills. The guy what, imploded what on the, the 18th hole. That poor kid Pereira. What the hell was that swing? Uh, you know, why would you why would you try to kill your drive on 18 when you have a one-stroke lead? All you need to do is put it in the fairway. Well, you know what? He's probably asking himself that right now. Well, I mean. But you're going to ask yourself like that every day he gets up in the morning. Why did I kill that drive? But the swing was crazy. The tempo was different than he had all day. It was nuts. You know, obviously things did not get quiet for a guy like that, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you feel it. And, you know, that was one of the things that always really mar – I marveled at Manny Ramirez because Manny didn't have any carryover at-bats. He could go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and couldn't hit a beach ball. But when he comes up in the 10th inning – because he's able to put those past failures behind him, that was what made him so dangerous and so great. Yep. He was an idiot savant, no doubt. <laughs> hey, I don't know how long we're going to go, but I wanted to just, I don't know, timely this week, tell a quick Gino Capaletti story. Good. That Because uh, I think we all knew him and got to know him and we know that he was just one of a kind and an amazing guy. But, Bob, you'll remember this. I know you will. I think one of the greatest stories ever, this is my version of it, it might embellish a little, but when the AFL started, uh, the commissioner came to the major cities and said, we want one of you guys on TV from every team. So Lenny Dawson was in Kansas City. Um, Gino was the guy in Boston. At the time, he owned a bar in Boston called The Point After, which was the place to go in Boston. So Gino, when I got to know him, would tell me, they trained at Curry College, I believe, then. He'd go to training camp at Curry College. He'd go to WBZ at Channel 4 and do the sports, the early sports cast. And then he'd go to the point after, afterwards. <laughs> I had forgotten about the sports casting angle. Oh, my goodness. This tape still, right, Lobie, of him at Channel 4 somewhere. Yeah, yeah. They, they were hanging in the walls. I'm not sure they're hanging in the walls now, but... They, well, the other, the, the other one for me was when I started at Fox, they built this little transom behind me and it was, you know, lit up. It was like a whatever. But they had all Boston great athletes, Ted Williams and Yaz and all this, Bobby Orr. 
and there was Gino, the Duke, with his you know uniform but no helmet. But every night, I would stand right in front of him. So one night, I'm about to go on, and the assignment test calls up. Butch, we get a guy named Gino on the phone. So <laughs> I pick up the phone, and he goes, Butch, Gino Capoletti. I said, hey, Paisan, how are you? He says, my wife Sandy wants to talk to you. I said, okay. <laughs> so he puts her on the phone, and she goes, Butch, listen, we love you. But stop standing in front of my husband every night. It's <laughs> great. I said, I never even knew I was doing it. So then I moved over and the director says, Why are you so far out of the shot? I said, Don't question. Don't question. <laughs> great. Yes, that's, that's a good fabulous. one. It really is. He was the best though, wasn't he? Wasn't he an unbelievable guy? Oh my god. And he's, he's not in the NFL Hall of Fame. I mean, Bob, you I think you talked about it last week, said you'd be so angered if he gets eventually gets into the Hall of Fame and he wasn't alive. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame, he's a Hall of Fame person. He should have been in for just that. Right. And Tion's just the same way. Tion, I mean, come on. I mean, I, I, you know, you talk about Ortiz and, and, you know, the Hall of Fame should be about inclusion, not exclusion. Right. They do everything they can to keep people out of Halls of Fame when they should be putting them in. It's like Parcells in the Patriots Hall of Fame. This is a I've been beating this horse for a long time, and it's long died a long time ago. But guys like Parcells or Fairbanks or things, guys that change the culture, Billy Sullivan, all these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Patriot. I don't know if somebody's. I don't know. Well, if the something. only the only way he's getting in, I can tell you from experience, Bob, and I agree with you. We all know Bill Parcells was more instrumental or as instrumental as any other person on what the Patriots have become. It was Kraft, it was Parcells, and it was Bledsoe, in all fairness, that turned out all around at that time. You know, I heard you last night when you said that number 11 was on the practice field. Yeah. And, and okay, this is a little Butch Stearns drop-in that he thinks nobody pays attention to, but there was a guy wearing number 11 on the Patriots practice Monte field. Parker, not cool. Yeah, and then that's what he said. But I don't I don't like it, or whatever it was. It was well, just a cool a guy thing. wearing 87 now, too. Uh, that's ridiculous. But it, well, I'm just saying that this was a little drop in you had on the sports about. Don't be surprised if they give that rookie Bailey Zappi quarterback number 12 or ask him if he wants to wear it. Yeah, that's probably. <laughs> but here's here's what I'll tell you about. Wouldn't, the they wouldn't game. dare. They wouldn't dare do that to that kid. I've been privileged to be for 15 years to be a member of the. They ask someone from every television station, so I'm not special. Oh, no, sir, on you're the Patriots Hall of Fame guy like Lynchy. Yes, I'm on the nomination committee. We're not an election committee. This is the point about Parcells, Bobby. Follow me. We're not an election committee. Our job is to get in that room, roll our sleeves up, and vote, and come out with the three finalists for the fans to vote. Parcells has been a finalist. I don't have it in front of me at least three times, I believe, maybe more. And the fans have always voted him third. So, unfortunately, when it comes to the fans, they remember how he left more than what he did for this organization. Do I agree with that? that? The votes no. are counted. You're assuming that the votes are counted in their absolute proper way, according to the Georgia legislature. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that if there's bit enough bitterness from Kraft or anybody in that organization to keep Parcells out, why would they want to do that? Really? I, I don't, I don't want to believe that. I don't either, but. Well, look, I mean, <laughs> Parcells should get credit for the groceries line more than anything else because that's when everything good happened. Kraft actually realized he wasn't doing things the right way when he brought Belichick in. My favorite thing about uh, Bill Parcells, you got to love a guy who, when he walks on a treadmill, also eats a Dove bar. And that's, <laughs> that's a money. talent. That's a talent, Hank. You're right. You're right. Well, listen, well, uh, Butch, thank you. I was going to say thank you, Butch. And hopefully you'll be with us next week. Um, joining us in place of Lynchy, who is recovering, as his lovely bride, Mary Ellen, told us at the beginning of the podcast over at Spalding. I mean, we wish him prayers and Godspeed. He's a, a beautiful human being, a wonderful guy. And on top of being, you know, one of the most talented sports casters ever in America. And, uh, you know, we wish him Godspeed as his recovery from the stroke. And, uh, Bob, like you mentioned, the doctor's, are uh, predicting a full recovery for Lynchy, which is a great thing. All right, good job, Butch. Good job, Hank. All right, yeah, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you Thank later. Thank you, guys. It's Unanchored Boston.
the podcast. You can follow us Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can go to our website, unanchoredboston.com. You can listen on your smart device if you so choose. Just say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google, or hey, Siri. Play Unanchored Boston, the podcast. Or, or hey, Pablo Bell. Right. Yeah, that too. Don't forget the meatballs. Good luck with that. Unanchored Boston is a presentation of Unanchored Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unanchoredboston.com. Thank you.